Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. I'll say good morning, Lindsley Avenue, and good morning, brothers and sisters. We're so glad everyone's here. Glad to have some visitors. Thank you all for being here. Uh, we mean it when they see the sign on the front door where it says, all are welcome. So we hope you'll come back and be with us uh, any opportunity you can. Uh, we're talking this morning here about stewardship. And I found that information about stewardship and thinking about stewardship always ends up involving big words. I looked for a way to try to make you know, smaller words in it, I mean, even when we translated it into Spanish, it turned out to be administración. Uh, so we can't even find a smaller word in a foreign language. We're, we're trying to put some things, I think we talked about this, into Spanish a little bit here and there because uh, we have been having some visitors who speak pretty much only Spanish, but uh, I will do my best to uh, not have the words be as big as the dictionary would suggest. We're going to talk about stewardship, and I, I like this picture showing the person's hands because in that picture you've got the things that we are all to be good stewards of. Sometimes people, especially if they know what stewardship's about, tend to start trying to hide those wallets because they're afraid that a church or a congregation or a preacher is coming after their money. That's not what we're doing today. I just want to talk about a few things for a few minutes. So let's see what God has to say about stewardship. When you go to the dictionary, the first thing you find is stewardship is defined as the office, duties, and obligations of a steward. Well, thank you very much. That uh, told me nothing. That told me nothing. The second one said the supervising or managing of something. Well, that's a little more helpful. The supervising or managing of something. And the third one, the careful and responsible management of something entrusted to one's care. Taking care of something, managing something for somebody else. Number two and three are much more helpful than number one. So just because it's mentioned in a dictionary does not mean it's going to be helpful. So with what have we been entrusted? Tell where I'm going because again it's in the picture of the hands. Let's look at each one of these or the broad categories of things that we have been entrusted with and see what the Bible says about them and what we think we ought to do to be good stewards, to be good managers, to take care of the things that we have been given or entrusted with. The first thing I want to talk about is the earth. I don't usually hear that talked about all that much when somebody's talking about stewardship because, again, most of the time they seem to be trying to zero in on whatever money you got in your pocket. But the first thing, the first category of items or the first topic that we, men and women, were ever entrusted with, were ever given to be stewards of, caretakers of, is the earth, all the way back in Genesis chapter 1. Verse 28, God speaking to Adam and Eve said, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, and then here it comes, and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Adam and Eve and those of us who came from Adam and Eve, which is all of us, were given the care and entrusted with the earth 
And it says subdue it. Well, subduing the earth does not mean turning it into a wasteland. No, I would certainly hope that if you give me something and say, hey, take care of this for me, I don't give you a bag of parts back where I ran over it with a steamroller or something. You know, you typically want it back in roughly the same condition or at least in a better condition than it was given. So the world newly created is given to Adam and Eve. I don't think strip mining every mountaintop we ever run across and having huge piles of trash and all this kind of stuff is what God probably had in mind right now. I don't think so. So it means to bring it under control and make it productive and useful. That's what really God is talking about here. The, the wild earth as it exists in Genesis needs to be brought under control and directed toward a purpose. So I'm afraid we collectively, sure not, not every one of us individually, but collectively, we haven't always been really good stewards or caretakers of the earth. But that's the first thing we were ever given to be stewards of. I want to talk about being stewards of relationships. Relationships. You know, some of us have more relationships in place than others. Back in Exodus chapter 20, God said, honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Boys, that means you respect your mom. Mom, that means you respect your mom sitting right behind you. We all have relationships. God said to the adults, you still have a mom and dad. They may at some point need some help. You honor them. You take care of them. You look after them. You be respectful to your mom and dad. To be caretakers of them in the same way that they were caretakers of me when I was a screaming pile of movement as a newborn baby. In Ephesians 6, it went the other way. Paul said, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Children need to be in subjection under the authority of their parents. Parents are trying to look out for you. There's a reason why they say no when you want to go out and play in the street in the dark. That's not usually a good choice to make. Children, listen to your parents. Be in subjection to your parents. Yield to your parents. Obey your parents as long as what they're telling you to do is what God would want you to do. Because this is the right thing to do. Ephesians 5. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Husbands and wives have a responsibility of caring for each other. The husband is to love his wife as he loves himself, and to love his wife as Jesus loved the church. It's a lot of responsibility to put on husbands. And then look as well, the wife needs to respect her husband. The husband cannot function the way he's supposed to if a wife is not respecting her husband for the things he is setting about to do. Respect and love one another. We have relationships that we need to be caretakers of. And I don't believe God will be happy with us. If we have some sort of relationship like this, not all of us have all of these relationships. Some of us, our parents are already gone. Some of us don't have any children. 
Some of us may or may not be married, but whatever relationships we have, we are to take care of. That's part of being good stewards, good caretakers. We also have been given time. Every one of us has been given this, and we are to use it wisely. In Colossians 4, 5, Paul says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of your time. Whenever the Bible says walk, sometimes it really means walking. But most of the time it means as you're living your life. So live your life in a wise way. Be smart about how you're living your life, especially as it goes toward people who are not God's children. People who are not Christians. People who are not uh, aware of God. They need to see you that you live differently than others. If the world, people that don't know God, are boozing it up, partying it up, whatever may be going on, that shouldn't be you as one of God's children. So live your life in a smart, wise way toward outsiders. And then this idea, making the best use of your time. Is the best use of my time to be guzzling as much booze as is possible? No. Is the best use of my time to be involved in dice games? They had a lot of those in the first century. No. Is the best use of my time to be angry at everybody all the time? There are better uses of my time that I should focus on. We only have so much time. One of these days, I won't have any more days. We were talking about that earlier. A friend of my dad's back here. Somebody in the, rep, the mission passed away overnight. Debbie and Cherie were telling them. Somewhere between about 3 a.m. and 5 a.m. They are not seen today. One of these days, I won't be standing here. Well, I, can, I have two choices, right? I can go cry in a corner that I'm not going to live forever, or if I've been given a day, God has something for me to do. I need to focus on what God wants out of Gene today, because he's giving me today, and I need to use that day for him. James 4, 14. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. For what is your life? You are like a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. It's always funny. I'll have fog in the morning as I'm driving. Usually I don't see that fog or I'll prove Right? When the sun gets up, it burns it off, as we say. And so that's my life. Here today and from the then Ephesians 5, 15, 16, very similar to what we read before up here in Colossians. Paul says, look carefully then how you walk. Sure, we do need to watch and make sure we're not tripping over things, but that's really talking about how I live my life. Look carefully how you're living your life. Not as unwise people, but wise. Make it with a purpose. Making the best use of your time because the days are evil. I can make two things out of that. The days are evil, so I need to make the best use of them that I can. Or, if I'm not careful, my days will become evil. If I'm not purposefully planning my day and what I'm doing to live for God, kind of by default, if I'm not careful, I'll be living for myself and I'll be doing evil, bad things. Here it comes. You knew money was going to come up. <laughs> Again, nobody's coming for your wallet or any of that stuff. But we are given money as well. Look at 2 Corinthians 9, 6-7. The point is, 
whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, that you have to do it. God loves a cheerful giver. Well, if I'm a farmer and I'm trying to grow corn, if I go out and plant two corn seeds, how much corn am I going to have? Two stalks, right? Two, two things of corn will grow. Maybe I'll get five or ten years of corn. Is that going to feed me all winter? No. I'm going to be hungry. If I don't sow a lot, I'm not going to reap a lot. There's that principle. It's a very important principle in the Bible. Well, the same thing is true of giving, but we all have different amounts of each of these abilities, each of these resources given to us. We don't all have the same amounts of money. We don't all have the same amounts of time. Some people die early. We don't have the same amount of relationships. We don't have the same amount of these abilities, these gifts given to us. Whatever I have, I need to use for God. That's the important thing. It's what it shows about the heart. It's not the amount. Remember, there was a widow that Jesus was near when he saw going into the temple and she threw in. It's called two mites. M-I-T-E-S. I think of it as like cutting a penny in half. It was nothing. It was just nothing in the big picture. But it's all she had. And she threw those in the offering. Others were pouring in, I think of dump trucks. Just dumping in coins. You know, you hear the beep, beep, because it's backing up. Others were just dumping huge amounts of money, but Jesus said the widow gave more than they did. Because she was giving out of her trust for God. You give as you can. It's not the amount. It's what it says about your heart. If I'm looking at money in the wallet and like, man, I'm keeping my stuff, my heart's not in the right place. How do you do that? Well, an eighth grade Bible teacher, I remember, he said, the way you don't give is look at whatever you got and say, all right, I need that $5 for this. I need this for this. All right, here's what's left. I'll give God a pinch of what's left. That's a bad idea because God's watching you as you go through whatever you got. Money's important, but it's not what it's all about. It's your heart. It's your heart. But then talk about abilities, a very broad category, abilities. 1 Peter 4.10, as each one of us has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards, there's the word, good managers of the very grace that God gives to all of us. When he says gifts, that can be a talent or an ability. What ability do you have? What ability do I have that I can use in God's service? got some gift. First step is to figure out what is it? Evan sings. He does a great job of singing. Beautiful voice. Ability to lead. You can tell he cares when he's singing. He's using that talent. Is everybody in here as good a singer as Evan? Here's a hint. No. Right? But if I can sing a fifth as good as Evan, sing what you can. Use what you can. Not everybody can be an Evan, but I can Find something I can do. Howard is a great encourager. That's his talent. Max is a great encourager. That's one of his talents. He uses it because every time I see him, he encourages me. How's your day going? You okay? 
I need to know, figure out what I can do and use it for God and use it to help people. That's what it's about in terms of abilities. But I want you to look at this parable. This is not on the handout, this parable. Because there's a parable where Jesus illustrates the idea of each of us being given different amounts of abilities and shows what some people do with it. It's a parable you've probably, maybe very likely probably heard before, but let's walk through it. It's over in Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30. It's called the parable of the talents. It was about money. They've been given a money amount. Money was called a talent, but it sure works well when you're thinking about abilities for talents. And in fact, I'm pretty sure the word talent, as we use it, came from this whole idea right here in this parable. So pick up with me here in verse 14. It will be like a man who goes on a journey and he called his servants and entrusted to them his property. You see that statement right there? They are having to act as stewards for the master, the man going on the journey. They've been given property and they've been entrusted to them and they're supposed to use it while he's gone. To one he gave five, to another two, to another one. Different amounts of money. Look right there too. He's given me the ability to run off at the mouth. I can talk a lot. Some others can't talk at all in front of people. I, maybe I have a two gift of speaking. Maybe somebody else has a one. It's different. Some of us have a big talent for singing. Others for encouraging. Others for praying. Others for feeding people. We all have different amounts of different abilities. Right? What does he say to you? He goes on his journey. The one who had received five talents, the one given the most of this ability, went at once and traded with the monies he invested in, he bought and sold, and he made five talents more. He doubled what he had. So also, the one who had been given two talents made two additional talents. But the one who was given one talent, the smallest amount of the ability, went and dug a hole in the ground his master's money. I think we all know that's not going to be the right solution, the right choice, the right decision. Well, after a long time, the master came back and he settled accounts with him. He said, come in, guys. You ever know you're in trouble when you have to go in and talk to somebody? You know, the teacher calls you up to the desk and you know, my dog didn't even eat my homework because I didn't do my homework. For my dog to eat it. You know you're going to be in trouble. The one talent guy had to know he's in trouble. He settles accounts, and he who had received five came forward and brought the five more and said, Master, you gave me, you delivered to me five talents. I've made five more. The master said to them, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will make set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. I gave you five, you came back with ten. Great job. You did what I wanted you to do. Great job. The one that had two talents came forward and said, Master, you gave me two. He didn't say, you didn't give me as much as this guy. I didn't do as well as him because you didn't give me as much. He's not doing any of that. You gave me two. Look, I turned it into two more. Here's four back to you. What does Master say? Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little, but you used what I gave you and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. 
So I'm afraid sometimes if we don't have five of something, we tend to just get mad. Well, I can't sing as good as that, so I'm not going to sing at all. I'm not a good encourager. I, I'm not good at this, so I forget it. I have been dealt a bad hand, a bad deal. My life is not the way it ought to be, so I'm not going to try. I learned from this parable that's not the way to look at it. Whatever I have been given, how much it may be, I can use it for making a difference. Whatever it may be. Right? You don't want me cooking when we have the big lunches together. Unless, you know, I bring a, a container of bread. I can cook great when it starts to croak. So what? If I can't do that, what can I do? That's the right question. It's not, I don't have this, it's what do I have? That's the question to ask. And then how can I use it? Because I don't want to be like this next person. He also would have received the one talent came forward and said, Master, I knew you were to be a hard man. I knew you were rough. Reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. I went and hid your towel on the ground. Here is what you have. Here's what you gave me. Here's what's yours. Oops. Jesus is not going to respond. The master here is not going to respond the same way. The master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant, lazy person. You're evil and lazy. You knew I reaped where I had not sown and gathered where I scattered no seed, but then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. At least I could have gotten it back with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. And he cast the worthless servant into outer darkness in that place that will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He's not welcome into the joy of his Lord because he did not use what he had been given. A big fear I have is that there are people who are followers of Jesus who aren't making use or even trying sometimes to make use of what they've been given. We need to figure out what can I do and find a way to use whatever I've been given. Because otherwise, look at what happens if I don't use some ability that I've been given. What do we take away from this parable? What do we learn from this parable? First, it tells us that God gives us different gifts, different amounts of gifts. It's not our abilities. It's not the ability that matters. It matters how we use what we've been given. We may not be equal in ability, but we can be equal in effort. We can be equal in effort. The parable tells us whatever we've got, little or great, we have to use it, lay it at the feet of God, use it in His service. It also tells us that the reward of work well done is more work. You know, I, there are songs we sing sometimes, right, that, you know, I've got rest coming, you know, I've got to, I'm going to kick my heels up. I don't think that's what God has planned for us. Whenever we die, we go home to live with God. I don't expect we're going to be on some very soft couch with our feet on a, a soft pillow somewhere. I don't know what he's got planned, but this parable sure says, you were faithful over a little. I'm going to put you in charge of a lot. 
Well, God's got something planned for us in the future. I don't know what it is, but my hope and response will be, yes, sir, when he tells me to get busy in the future. The two servants that done well were not resting. They were told to go get to work. They're given greater tasks and greater responsibilities in the work of the master. That's what I suspect our future is going to be. It also tells us the one who is punished is the one who will not trust. Will not trust. The only thing God cannot seem to stand is someone that doesn't try to make any effort. I don't have to build some huge towering structure that gleams in the sunlight to God and praise Him. I've got to do something. Something. If I don't do anything, I won't receive anything other than being called wicked. Last thing you want is for God to say, you're wicked and lazy. I don't want to ever hear that. I don't ever want to hear that. You know, it's as if if I realize I just don't seem to have many abilities, so what's the point? It won't make any difference anyway. Nobody will notice whether I show up or not. That's what brings condemnation. Don't be the one talent person. Don't dig holes in the ground. Find some way to do something with what you got. With what you got. It tells us to the one who has, more is going to be given. The one who does not is going to lose even what they have. What does that mean? You know, give the one that uh, doesn't have anything, give what he has to something. You know, it's always kind of a confusing statement. Here's the important part. If you have an ability and you exercise it, you're going to be able to do more with it. But if you have some ability and don't exercise it, you're going to lose it. You know, if you can walk today, what happens if you don't walk for 10 years? You sit in a chair. You won't be able to walk for very long. Somebody's trapped on a de deserted island, right? Five years. They don't talk to anybody. There was a movie about that that uh, Tom Hanks or somebody in for a while, some years ago. He didn't talk to anybody other than volleyball. Strange thing. But if you don't talk to somebody for a long time, you finally get a chance. You can't talk because you haven't been exercising your ability. If I don't use my ability, it will diminish. It will get weaker and weaker. So if you have the ability to care about something and you don't care, it will kind of dry up, blow away, shrivel. Use it or lose it. Use it or lose it. The only way to keep a gift is to use it in serving God. Use it in serving God and in the service of our neighbors. And that's one of the beauties that I have seen in all of you. Because here we try to find ways to help our neighbors and help our community. Does everybody have the same set of talents? Absolutely not. No one has me drawing pictures for art. No one has me doing food preparation. But we all have different abilities. Come together and use it so we can help people. That's what God wants us to do. What does it say? What does this parable say about using our time, our ability, our money, our relationships, all these talents? If we 
we use them properly or if we misuse them or don't use them, what happens? <coughs> Pretty clear. A couple of verses here at the very end. As each of us has received a gift, use it to serve one another as stewards of God's very grace. What does God say will happen to the one who, who wants who don't use the abilities given to them? Whatever they have is going to be taken away. We all have different amounts right, to be used for God. And as back here, noticed earlier, earlier this morning, this is a real important verse to remember when we're talking about being given gifts in the here and now. 1 Timothy 6, we brought nothing into this world and we can't take anything out. Oh, somebody can try to bury something with you in the coffin. Sometimes you see that, right? Some expensive thing is put in the coffin. It's going to sit there until they dig the cemetery up in a thousand years. If we have food and clothing, we, with these we need to be content. None of these talents and abilities are going to go with us, so why not use them here? That applies to money. Certainly applies to time. It applies to abilities. It applies to all of these resources, if you will, that have been entrusted to us. God wants us to use them while we have the opportunity. Moreover, it is required, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, of stewards that they be found faithful. If you've been given a position of responsibility to do things with what God has given you, God expects us to be faithful. There's a whole parable Jesus talks about the unfaithful steward who had responsibility for things that his master used it for his benefit rather than his master. I don't want to be the unfaithful steward. God expects me to use what I've been given for him. So we're all stewards of the most important gift related to time, but it's our lives. We came into the world because God allowed us to be born. We have our lives because God gave them to us. Am I being a good steward of the life God has given me? Am I using my life for God or am I using my life for things I want? Am I being a faithful steward with my life or am I being an unfaithful steward because I'm looking out for number one? I'm not number one. What's my life look like? What is yours? That's the real question I want you to be thinking about today as we stand and sing.